Hi, I'm Denise Bailey. And I'm Dr. Monica Parker. And you're listening to My Parents Are Now My Kids, a medical doctor's view and daughter's journey through memory loss and other dementias. As a doctor, I'll help you navigate through the often confusing, confounding, and frequently frustrating technical aspects of dementia. And as a daughter, I'll share with you some things I've experienced caring for and loving my parents who both struggled with these disorders. We want you to have hope and to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And we'll tell you that sometimes that light is coming straight at you and you just have to get out of the way. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Monica. Hi, Denise. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Well, thank you. Can you believe we went through an entire year of my parents are now my kids? Well, I'm living it, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are. How have you been? I'm great. Good. Well, today, we want to talk about caregiving in the home. So, you know, you've lived through it with me. I had both parents, and as everyone knows now, my father passed away, but I still have my mom. So I've gone through the ups and downs and ins and outs of getting a caregiver in my house. And the problem with you is you don't ask for enough help, and you don't schedule for enough help. But that's another subject. <laughs> that is a, that's another subject. Thank so, you for calling me out. Yeah, well, I want to keep you straight. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that as it relates to caregiving and you know, taking care of a person who's living with dementia, that's what we call them now, persons living with dementia, requires similar caregiving skills as for taking care of somebody with any other chronic illness. The difference is that with somebody who has a dementing disorder, their way of processing instructions and information is not at all the same. You know, when you have somebody who has heart failure or cancer or kidney failure or anything else, physically they are failing, but cognitively they're intact enough to tell you what they need, what they, um, whether they're having pain or whether they can communicate with you is the point. You are hitting the nail on the head. I lived this just before I saw you today. My mother is going through some health challenges. And all she can do is moan. Mm-hmm. Now, she, can, she can't really carry on a good conversation. Your mother can tell you some things, but for one thing, she may be uncomfortable, but she can't be specific about what kind of pain she's feeling. She cannot. Um, she will moan, and I'll say, Mom, what's wrong? And she says, oh, it hurts. And I'm like, what hurts? And she really can't tell me. So it's really difficult. And so that's one of the differences in taking care of people who are living with dementia. And so what I would like to tell you is, as a caregiver, you have to maintain your sense of empathy. You have to maintain your reserve of patience. You have to learn how to take care of your needs and take care of yourself, you know, that oxygen face mask thing. But more importantly, (laughs) you have to bottle up that reserve and count to 10 all the time simply because persons who are living with dementia 
cannot reason and cannot be reasoned with. You cannot strike deals with them. And it what you do for other people is not going to work with somebody with dementia. You are so right about that. You cannot that. strike a deal with them. Because They'll I... They'll forget it in 10 minutes. I know. I know. I was. I try to have a conversation, and I try to, as you say, strike a deal, and come to some sort of agreement with my mom. And in ten, nine, eight seconds, it's over. But you know, that's one of the biggest mistakes we make as caregivers living with persons who have dementia. Um, in the Deep South, um, we are very deferential and very respectful of our older adults. And we like to give them choice, and we like to say, Mama, would you like? Daddy, would you like? And the better approach would be, Mama, we will. Daddy, we will. Don't ask them what they want because they really don't know. But because you're giving them an opportunity to have some power over you, they'll say no, like the (laughs) two-year-old, you know? So they're not going to cooperate. So what I would say, first of all, is... As a caregiver for somebody living with dementia, you cannot reason with them and don't try because it'll frustrate you and it'll frustrate them. That is and they true. will always maintain the upper hand. And you're right. I think it's a Southern thing. I think you might be right about that. Or maybe not. I don't want to offend any of our listeners who do not live in the Southern part of the United States. But um, I try to give her a choice because I want her to feel like she is still a whole person. So the way that you give her choice, and I'm going to get to this, but the, that's the first thing I want to get out of your head if you're caring for somebody with dementia. These individuals are not to be reasoned with. So it's sort of like when you have the elementary school child. And wait, before you go on, those of you who are listening, we're not trying to be mean, but Dr. Monica is so right. I had to learn the hard way. I keep trying to give my mother choices and and give my mother free reign and to make her feel like she's a part of the conversation. But I think it it's better if you just don't. It's better if you don't. It's better if you say, let's do, be more directed in what you ask them to do. Now, getting bathed and getting dressed can be very difficult. And I think that as it relates, as long as your relative has the ability to express his or her likes or dislikes, like, for example, I'll wear the blue dress, but I hate the color red. Don't let me wear red. That's something that you can honor, but to eliminate trouble with getting dressed, you put out an outfit and let them choose one of the two outfits that you have. Well, let me tell you. (laughs) That's acceptable to you. You know, I tried that. I took your advice on that. I would lay out outfits, but my problem is there were other outfits lurking in the background, and when I would leave the room and come back, she had taken everything else out and changed. (laughs) But all that being said, I know that that some of this is funny, but one of the things that helps caregivers most in terms of living with these individuals is setting a schedule Mm -hmm. and having a routine, establishing a definitive routine from the time you wake them up to the time you put them to bed, whatever your ritual is for getting them up, getting them dressed and fed in the morning and getting them undressed and into bed at night, you have to give them a routine. And we talked about this last season. You may think that it's not enjoyable to them, but they really don't know. And it really works. It really does work. Well, I think routine is something that's familiar. That's why when we have relatives, you know, um, I had a family of about 
I want to say 10 children, but suffice it to say that the mother lived with the youngest daughter and the brothers and sisters had two week rotations where they came into the house to assist their younger sister with whatever was going on with their mother. Now, why was that? Because the mother was familiar with the environment in which she was living. Now, maybe that environment is her home because she's always lived there. Maybe it's the home that she's lived in for the five years before she became sick. Okay. Right. Familiar environments make it easier to care for people. If I'm in my own home and I know where the bathroom is down the hall, I'm less likely to have an accident and I'm more likely to get to the bathroom and do what I need to do versus going into a closet somewhere. That's true. Because you've moved me out of my familiar environment. Quick example, I took my mother on a trip to visit um, a relative in Ohio last year and yep, she had an accident because she was not familiar with how to get to the restroom, whereas where she lives now, she gets up, she walks straight to that door, walks right back, and she knows where she is. So maintaining a familiar environment, keeping, keeping them in their familiar environment is important. Keeping them around familiar people. Now, I, I, you know, a familiar routine. So you're the daughter, the caregiver daughter that she lives with. She may not call your name, but she probably recognizes you before she recognizes your sister who lives in New Mexico. Right. And the sister in New Mexico is going to be upset because mama doesn't recognize her anymore. But then mama doesn't see her either. Right. So routine, establish a routine, a get-up routine, a bathing routine, a feeding routine. When it comes to people who are coming into the home to care for them. Now, this is one of my pet peeves because... Um, A lot of families, unless you're living in a small town in a rural area where you have a large extended family, you are not necessarily going to have a lot of people that you can depend on to come into the home to help take care of your relative. So you may hire somebody, but the agency that you hire should be responsible for giving you the same caregiver with whom your relative is developing a relationship. I can't stress the importance of having a familial relationship with whoever the paid caregiver is. And as a family caregiver, we know we're going to be there. But if you're going to hire people to come into the home to do things, they have to stick to the same routine that you have. But it's best not to change those caregivers too often because those become strangers. And strangers are people they're unfamiliar with and they may be frightened by and so they're less likely to cooperate so you as the daughter denise your mother will probably eat your bacon and eggs but if you sit somebody in front of her particularly if it's a man that she doesn't know right who gives her some bacon and eggs she's probably going to think it's poison but more importantly she's going to be upset because there's a strange man in her house because she doesn't know who this person is. Right, and let me give our listeners some advice about, you mentioned agencies and that's wonderful. What I've done, I've tried an agency in the past, I've had mixed you know, reviews with agencies, but I've sort of gotten a village. You know, We talked about it takes a village. So I've gotten neighbors, I've gotten church members, I've gotten friends who have recommended people, and I have like a little cache, if you will, of people that I can call, that I can trust. And I know you say that 
you know, but familiar. But you trust them within your mother's home. Yes. You're not moving your mother out of your house with these people. They're coming in and she's still in her familiar environment. Right. But what I want, I'm trying to give advice to people who may not want to go through an agency, but may want to find people that they f feel familiar with. So my advice is to get a little village of people that you can trust. And like I said, I, I have gotten, you know, uh, neighbors that I can trust that she can somewhat remember. Um, I've gotten church members who can come in. I've gotten friends, relatives of friends, and I have like a little network that I can call on, and it works out wonderfully. Um, they will come into the home and, and, and be with her, but always have that in your back pocket, if you will. So and that's, that's some advice of, I'd like to that's, give. That's an excellent piece of advice because we say it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise and continue to care for somebody living with dementia. And you're right. So you have to enlist different people in your village, if you will, to help you with that task. And some of those people are not just church members or siblings of the person that's affected. It can be somebody simple like the hairdresser. Mm-hmm somebody that she likes. Now, I know I remember distinctly going to pick your mother up <laughs> from the radiology department. Yes, that was a day. <laughs> yeah, that was a day. But the I think she only came with me because she kind of sort of recognized me because I was her doctor. Right. But um, it was it, that was a funny experience. <laughs> it was a funny experience. And I'm still indebted to you for that because uh, I'll let the listeners know my, my mother can be a little difficult. And um, she had... An appointment and they were calling me saying come get her now and I was at work and I couldn't come and Dr. Monica came to the rescue thank mm -hmm. you so much but um, I think that it's very important um, and my pet peeve with you is you don't get enough relief to make other people help you and when you're a working caregiver I work every day outside of my home I have a wonderful caregiver who's in my home a paid caregiver who's there from nine to six. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband helps because he helps transport my mother. So that's his main job to help transport her. And believe it or not, she knows his name before she knows mine, which disturbs <laughs> me and my brothers no end. Wow. But what you're saying about enlist other people to help you with this is very important. But you have to develop a cache of people mm -hmm. that you can call on yep. at a moment's notice yes. to come sit not to do a whole lot, but to sit. Right. And I think the when it comes to caregiving, one of the things that we worry about is, are these people eating? Are these patients, uh, patients, loved ones eating like they need to eat? And sometimes, well, for example, my mother won't eat anything that her caregiver fixes her for her because she's from another country and she has a different flavor mm -hmm. uh, mix. And my mother will say mean things, but she won't eat it. So the default here is my husband does all of the cooking, and he seasons everything up the way she likes it, and she eats everything that he prepares. Awesome. So when it comes to, okay, I've got heart disease, I've got this, I've got that, we got all of that. But malnutrition is a real entity, and if people aren't eating because they don't like the way something is flavored or prepared, find a way to prepare what's necessary in a manner that's acceptable to them. Right. You have to find that person who comes into your home to care for your loved one, to get on 
your scheduling on in your routine and exactly. the things that are familiar and you know acceptable to your loved one that's really really key and so you talked about paid volunteers you talked about um friend neighbor mm -hmm. volunteers and other I people pay in them. the village i do right? i pay them you you give them a love token <laughs> okay. no actually i pay them very well okay well but i mean all i'm saying is whether you pay them or not you know there are professionals that you hire there are friends that you hire or get to volunteer which gets me to assisted livings now the cost of an assisted living is anywhere from depending upon where you live geographically $3,500 to $6,000 a month in most metropolitan areas. And if your family can afford for somebody to be in that kind of facility, just be sure that everything that they promised you is what you're getting for what you are paying. Uh, that will be the only thing that I say about that, simply because caregiving at home is less expensive than in a facility. And I would say that the employees working in the facility are accountable to their employer and not necessarily to you. Why I, when you make that point, that's why I feel that leaving your loved one in their home, a familiar surrounding, keeping that routine is for me personally, the way to go. So I think we gave some great information today and we'll talk more next time.